The world is very busy, it's goal-driven, and um, you're always trying to achieve more, um, a step ahead, whether it's in work or even in you know our communities. Um, generosity, to me, um, is an important reminder of the gifts that we have um, and being able to turn that back. Um, a refocus on what's important. Yeah, I guess I would just add to that that um, you know, we were relatively new to Dallas and we had gone to a few different churches and um, it just weren't the, the right fit yet. Um, but I was really inspired by how active you were in your community. And, um, you know, that's something that I really wanted and, and looked for in a church. And so that was that was another factor. And candidly, you know, up until the last, you know, several years, uh, you know, I had let the church kind of fall out of my life uh, in many ways. Uh, and this church has been a, a, a way for me to bring focus to all that, some clarity in terms of focus and clarity uh, <laughs> right there. Uh, in terms of um, understanding what what God wants, what God intends for us and for this world and uh, making generosity a a regular practice behavior um, helps us re be reminded. It also is incredibly rewarding to be able to turn around and, and remember what's really important. So I'm going to be honest with y'all. Today's a day of honesty, right? So um, Phil was very honest about his frustration of getting nickels out of the, um, <laughs> the offering boxes that we now have, I guess. I, what are we calling them, Rebecca? The Dropbox, yes. So I'm going to be honest with y'all. Y'all probably know this. If you know me, I'm a bit of a procrastinator. I, uh, I'm working on it with my therapist, but I have a tendency to, like, as things get a little more and more stressful and there's more and more to do, I'll find anything not to do them. Like, our house is really clean when I'm really stressed, right? Uh, but I also... With the age of the internet, I developed a habit in college of uh, spending a lot of time just looking at other stuff online, right? Uh, reading random box scores of baseball games or reading articles. And I think like my kryptonite here is really BuzzFeed. Like I hate BuzzFeed. I hate everything it stands for. I hate its, uh, you know, bend towards just always trying to sell me something. But I get sucked into that wormhole and I'll start reading all those articles about unnecessary things you may need in your life. Like this morning, it was not uh, delaying my sermon prep. It was for my sermon prep. I went to BuzzFeed just to see what was there. And they had uh, one of their articles was, uh, it was entitled uh, 40 things, uh, 40 products that simply make sense for you to own if you have a house, right? And so um, I'm looking through this and it's a grout pen, something you can color like dirty grout with. That sounds like a good idea. A battery organizer, so all your batteries are in the proper place. And then one of them was a lamp. <laughs> I, I assume that if you are living in a house, you have a lamp somewhere in your home. It was like a reminder that this article was probably written for 23-year-old Mitchell, where I probably didn't have any lamps in my house, and uh, you know my mattress was on the floor. But but my favorite uh, my favorite BuzzFeed article or or these types of articles are the th are, are the the ones that articles generous, right? Um, uh, are the 
the publications that tell you how you've been using certain products wrong, right? So I did not know that the slot in the skillet was so that you can rest your spoon there. I had no idea. That was life-changing, right? I also didn't know that if you disassembled a Chinese takeout box of food, it becomes an actual plate so you can actually eat your food without having to like dig through the box, right? I also, I had no idea that there were tabs on the end of aluminum foil that you punch in and then you can like hold your aluminum foil in place so that when you rip it, it's actually efficient and like straight. Like I had no idea. And it turns out that when we begin to use things as they were intended, our life gets easier, right? Who knew, right? There's something really gratifying, I think, when this happens, when we begin to, to use items as the designer intended them to be used. And often we're never taught how to do that, right? I have to read a BuzzFeed article to know that about my skillet, right? No one showed us that. Uh, we didn't know. But life is indeed better when we live it as it is intended to be lived, which is a good word for us as we kind of close this series on generosity, right? We've been spending four weeks talking about how do we as a people cultivate the good life? How do we live and practice generosity as a way to bolster and to improve our life? Not as some sort of self-help kind of doctrine, but as a way for us to live fully into the life that God desires for us. And to help us get there each week, I've been really focused on this biblical principle that simply says generosity makes our life better. I still believe that after four weeks, right? That generosity does indeed make our life better. But then each of these weeks, we kind of walk through how that occur, occur, occurs or how one aspect of practicing generosity in our life can, can lead us to seeing tangible results. So back four weeks ago, week one, we talked about generosity and how it allows us to be more compassionate in the world. And then we had that kind of $100 challenge that you all knocked out of the park, right? We're still receiving funds to the pastor's fund. Um, over $7,000 have come in since we started doing that. You know, if you need $100, email me. If you have an extra $100 to give, give it. And so we're still seeing the benefits of practicing generosity and how we can become more and more compassionate in the world. Week two, we talked about generosity and how it creates more space in our life, how it allows us the freedom that we need to be able to follow whatever God puts in front of us. We talked about how practicing generosity in week three allows us to have a real impact in the world, how practicing and giving of ourselves, right, uh, allows us to see the impact that is created by cultivating this generosity. And today we end with this, living generous lives, living more generously makes us happier. It makes us happier which may seem a little self-serving, so I'll say it another way, right? Being generous sparks joy. And if we know anything, we know that the gospel story invites us into a space of joy, right? Joy being that foundational place we can stand regardless of what our day's like. 
Joy being that sort of depth of appreciation for not only God, but also of neighbor that allows us to see the world differently, right? Living generously sparks joy. And joy is indeed a biblical principle that can be ours through faithfully following Christ. That doesn't mean that following Christ is easy. That doesn't mean that following Christ won't cost us something. But I do believe as your pastor that if we are faithful in our following of Jesus Christ, we will experience joy in our own lives and in our families and in our neighborhood. The truth is the world is taking notice of this idea that generosity can spark joy. It's something that I think Christians have known for a long time, but sociologists, psychologists, neuroscientists are beginning to study the connection between generosity and happiness, right? And for a long time, we've known that there's a clear, consistent link between generosity, right, and happiness. We've known that. Uh, But we are now learning, uh, because there are really, really smart people that are studying the brain, which is an ever-evolving field of research, right? But folks are beginning to realize that there is some neuroscientific scientific evidence as to why we get this feeling, right? Like what is the chemical reactions that are actually happening in our brain to allow us to feel joy when we give, when we're generous? So psychologists, sociologists, neuroscientists are beginning to understand more clearly why, but the truth is it, It's rather self-evident. We are created, (laughs) we're created to practice generosity. It is one of the things God intends for us, right? To practice generosity. And things like the slot in your skillet, right? Things are always better when they are used as they were intended to be used. Paul was, I mean, we know Paul, a dramatic convert, uh, the early church planter, right? This like missionary in which a lot of folks rest their faith with Paul's writings and his ability to start and sustain communities. Uh, Paul knew this, um, and he knew that generosity was the key to happiness, to this joy that I think we're all after. And this morning, I'm going to read from his second letter to the church in Corinth. Um, But before I get to our text, I want to say that that Paul uh, here in in 2 Corinthians sees that generosity is a free act. He does not assume that it's something you have to do to earn God's grace, but it is an opportunity that we have because of God's grace in our life. That distinction may seem not that important, but it really is everything, right? We practice generosity because of what God has done, not to try to earn God's favor. And Paul certainly thinks that we have the opportunity to freely give. Um, And Paul also says right before our text this morning that, um, which is pretty clear, right? If you sow a little bit of seed, you'll get a little bit of a return on that, right? But if you sow generously, you will receive an abundance back, right? So... That seems simple, plan a little bit, get a little bit, plan a lot, get a lot, right? Okay. So here's where we pick up in chapter 9, 2 Corinthians 9, 11 through 15. Paul says, you will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. 
For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, and for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Paul's really, really good at getting to the heart of the matter. He's, he can kind of go off on tangents here here, there, but the truth is Paul is pretty precise here in 2 Corinthians. And essentially Paul is looking at this early church, this community of both promise and opportunity, this budding group of faithful followers of Jesus Christ, and is encouraging them to do the one important thing to sustain their ministry for the long term, which is to practice generosity. Right? He says that they have all they need. They have all the talents and all the gifts. They have all the connections. They have all the resources. They have all the networks and friendships they need. And they have all the money they need. The challenge here is not that they lack for anything. The challenge is convincing them that it is a worthy thing to practice generosity and give that, uh, those, all those gifts to the work of the church. Paul goes on to say, all of it is a gift to be used for the enrichment of the community above all else. We are um, folks who are enriched, not so that we can maintain our status, right? Rather, we are given gifts, money, time, resources, so that we can then be a blessing for the community at large. That's the truth. And that is what Paul is trying to clearly articulate to this new community that he has helped form. Paul knows that living generously is needed if the church is going to thrive. In fact, Our participation is paramount if we're going to see what God has in store for our church. Corinthians 9 is so rich in its explanation and expectation of the generosity that Paul is seeking within the community that I think we can really boil down this chapter into really four points that Paul is making that have kind of acted as the undercurrent to our entire series, right? The first is this, we are created to give. We are not created to hoard, right? We are created to give. The second point, generosity is something God wants for us, not something God wants from us. The ability to be generous is indeed a gift from God. It's not an expectation, right, that God has to unlock God's love and grace, but it is indeed a gift. Generosity sparks joy, that being the third point. And the fourth point is the more we practice it, the bigger impact we have on others and the bigger impact we have on ourselves. Truth is, there's really nothing groundbreaking there, is there? I think if I were to like put a poll out and say, do you believe these things? We would probably all come back and say, yeah, I believe that. 
I believe that we are created to give, that things are always better when they are used as intended, right? Like we would all, we'd all probably affirm that. And so here's the question. It's the question that I think we ask of ourselves all the time. If we are in, intended to live generously, like if we are made by our creator to practice generosity, to give, why are we so tempted to keep? If we are created to give, why are we so tempted to keep? I'm sure we can come up with a few answers, uh, probably some good answers for ourselves and for others. But I want to suggest that just from my vantage point, both as I look at my own life and I have the perspective I do as a pastor, right? I want to suggest it boils down to really one thing, and that's fear. It's fear. We get scared. We let our fear get in the way. And even though we know the path, we know the path that God desires for us, we veer off because it overwhelms us. We're scared we won't have enough. We're scared we won't be able to meet a need. We're scared we won't be able to afford an emergency that may arise. We're scared that we'll be taken advantage of. We're scared that we'll miss out. We're scared that what God promises us won't really become a reality. And then this fear that takes root in our lives, turns us inward in a literal way. We move in on ourselves, and the self-centeredness we begin to experience, right, creates within us a sense of protection, but that is merely a facade, that is merely a veneer, because what we know is that God's plan for us can never become fully recognized from a place where we are inwardly focused and self-centered. That is not how we flourish as disciples of Jesus Christ. Right? We flourish because we have a Savior, right? Because Jesus shows up and shows us a better way. And this is one of the reasons I'm very, very thankful that I have Jesus in my life. I'm very, very thankful that Jesus saves me often from this perspective or space, right? I'm prone to thinking often that the, the world exists only for me, that the world is only about Mitchell. I am prone to thinking that way really when the alarm goes off or certainly when one of my children wakes me up at an ungodly hour. I am prone to think that today is about me. And luckily I have a savior that won't let me stay in that place. Luckily, I have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ that won't allow me to stay in that place for too long because I have a community of people, not only you, but my staff and certainly my wife and my family, they will remind me that there is something more to be had in this life from simply living out this self-centeredness that can easily take root in my own life. And because I listen, sometimes well, and sometimes it's really hard, but because I am willing to listen to the Holy Spirit, I find myself learning how to be more and more generous. 
because God works in mysterious ways. Right? When I practice generosity or when our family practices generosity, we begin to see the world that God desires. It becomes a little more in view for us. And I think about this often when, I, when we're here on Commitment Sunday. I think about how in the world am I still in this pulpit 10 years later, right? And that's pretty remarkable considering for at least the first five years I didn't even know what I was doing, right? And I keep thinking that, you know, the reason that we're all still in this thing is because we truly believe that God is not yet done with the work that we're called to do. And part of that work, (laughs) the majority of that work is learning to live more and more generously with one another, not just with our money, but with how we treat one another, with how we welcome folks into our space, with how we let go of our Sunday school classrooms or our preferred parking spot on Sunday morning, right? Part of this work is really rooted in us as a community being generous with one another. And I still, I still feel like I have more to give to you all. And I, I believe that you all still have more to give to me, that together we are not yet done with what God has tasked us with, which is being a church that takes seriously bringing the good news to Far East Dallas and to work for the transformation of our neighborhood. I firmly believe that that mission still is out in front of us. Now, we aren't a perfect church, and we definitely get it wrong sometimes, and yet the ministry of this church continues. God's grace and love that we reflect to one another and reflect to the neighborhood, that continues to win out. And I truly believe that we're, we're not yet done. And so this week I sent an email encouraging you to pray about um, what your generosity will look like in 2022. You also should have received a letter in the mail. But in that email on Friday, I did something that always makes me a little anxious. I told you what my family is planning to pledge, right? I said that the Van Ort Boone household, we're going to give $10,000 to the church budget in 2022. And I told you that because I really believe that you deserve to know. It's certainly not the largest gift in our congregation, right? This isn't about me kind of standing on a pedestal. I really believe that you deserve to know because I know what you give, right? Seems unfair for me to know what you give, but you do not know what I and my family give, right? But more than that, I told you because I want you to help hold me accountable to this thing, right? I want, I want, as I always strive for, I want to practice what I preach. And it seems unfair for me to spend four weeks preaching about generosity and then not be able to show you how I'm trying or our family's trying to live that out. And Eli and I know that living generously is indeed a gift that God has given us. And yet, I'll be honest, I'm a bit nervous about our pledge, right? Because two kids in daycare, that's expensive. We're worried about a car payment, and we're worried about our mortgage, and I know um, you probably know this about me, I kind of like fancy things, Right? And yet I trust that God's grace will continue to work on me. And I believe that Jesus leads us out of a life of fear and into a life of joy and generosity is the way. 
There's no other way. If we want to move out of a life of fear and into a life of joy, generosity is the only way. Joel and Cammie did a great job talking about this in their video. And as Laurel was crying in the background, right, it was very reminiscent of my own house, right, where it seems chaotic all the time, right? But I really appreciated what Joel said. Joel talks about a moment of focus and clarity and that this church and, right, the act of generosity helped create it, not only in their lives, but ultimately in our own lives. As we need so desperately this moment of focus and clarity, I trust that we, we find it here. And I trust that we believe that the only way to receive it is to practice generosity. So if you're new to giving, this is the first time you've ever been asked to give or you've been asked to give on KERA, but you, like me, changed the channel. Like I said, I already give to KERA, okay? But if you're new to giving not asking you to go straight to 10% this morning of your, of your you know, income, but I am asking you to maybe take, out, take a step and just see how being generous with your money can feel, right? If you are someone who is a part of our church that you give ever so often, um, I, I'm going to ask you to make it a regular discipline in your life. The biggest change for our giving in our household Um, was when we started giving regularly. Like it wasn't a discussion, it was just the first of the month. And our first check at the time went to White Rock. Now we give online. But if you are um, giving but you haven't established regular patterns of giving, I want to encourage you to just try it. And then if you are giving regularly, I want you to try to just stretch yourself a little bit. Practice sacrificial giving, which is why I won't be drinking much cultivar in the year to come, right? Take little steps to get there so that you can feel both the sacrifice and then also experience the impact that your giving will have. In a moment, we're going to invite folks to come down and find a space in these offering plates to place their pledge cards If you're watching online, you can fill out a pledge card at wrumc.org slash 2022. But after you place your pledge cards in these offering plates or after you submit your form online, I'm going to ask you to either spend some time here at the altar rail or find some time at home to be in prayer for our church. Because I really believe that the work we are called to do is of the utmost importance. I'm going to close this with prayer, but, but before I do that, I want to say this. I really believe that our church's mission and impact in the world starts not with innovation and creativity, right? We are that, but it doesn't start there. Our church's uh, impact doesn't start with uh, our theological position or even developing a prophetic voice. It's not with our hospitality or our warm welcome, but it starts and ends with our generosity. And I'm so grateful, really, truly, I'm grateful that I get to be a part of a church that not only believes that to be true, but lives as if that is true. So thank you. Let us pray. 
Gracious and loving God, we know that you call us into a life that is different, (laughs) that we are to be set aside in such a way that we witness an alternative path towards joy and happiness, one that is bound up and sacrificially caring for and giving of ourselves on behalf of this community and of our neighbors. We know that we follow a savior, a Christ who who was willing to invite people into this posture of generosity. And we know that often it is easy for us to look inward, but help us to trust that you really intend for us to flourish. May we trust what we read, that through our giving, we may find joy. And so as we give, bless what we give. May it be enough for us to do the work you have called us to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.